When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. <clears throat> so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let me pray. Uh, let me pray for us, Lord. Um, thank you, thank you. The power's out. Uh, thank you that this room is quiet right now. Um, thank you that um, we didn't have electricity uh, to run through amplifiers to amplify our music uh, this morning, Lord. Uh, thank you that. That even just being in this moment shows us uh, how much uh, we trust in our own power and in our own ability. And that's what this whole passage is about, is about getting to the end of yourself and actually stepping into the power that only you have. So would you move powerfully this morning, Lord? Um, would you work? Because uh, the power is not in my ability to explain all of this, nor in our ability to understand all of this, but supernaturally, by the work of your Holy Spirit, to draw us unto yourself like this desperate dad. So we love you. We come to you. We need you. Amen. All right, so when you when you create, I'll let you behind the scene of the pastor, or, you know, I'm one pastor at Midtown. There's multiple, and there's multiple congregations, and I bet they all have power this morning. <laughs> but we don't. But when you outline a sermon series, generally you would think, uh, you wouldn't double down on demon possession back-to-back uh, -back weeks. So I don't know how we miss this. It feels like Shark Week, right? Like we're just kind of going through the different experiences. Uh, I guess we just can't get enough. Uh, yeah, I told Christopher, more cowbell, right? So just we're going to keep bringing on this. But there are some similarities uh, to last week's sermon. If you didn't listen to that, you can go back, I guess, if you want to. 
Um, but I'm not going to say re-say everything I said last week about some things. Um, just simply this, that once again in this passage, this is Mark 9, we're confronted with the biblical reality, because we're, we're, we're saying we believe that the Bible is true, it's God's inspired word, and so it's saying this is real. The biblical reality of the supernatural world, things like demons, powers, principalities, both good and bad exist, right? The biblical reality of the supernatural world and Jesus' power, his authority over that world. He is king of kings, lord of lords, he's above it all, right? So we see that in this story, but we also see, we see a boy who's painfully possessed, it says here, by a demon since childhood, right? And a father uh, who is, so there's a boy, there's a father who is utterly desperate in this moment, right, to help his boy. Um, And then a group of disciples, that's kind of the third group of people we have in here, a group of disciples who, the story kind of begins with them and ends with them seem confused about the limits of their capacity, right? So a boy who's in a lot of pain, a father who is also in a lot of pain and is desperate, and disciples uh, who seem more concerned about what they can and can't do, okay? So that's where we're headed. Three things uh, in this passage. One, the state of unbelief. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes. The state of unbelief. Secondly, Uh, Jesus, who is our only help for unbelief, okay? The state of unbelief, Jesus, our help for unbelief, and then lastly, um, we'll talk a little bit about what what is the fruit of belief when we believe, and talk about prayer for a few minutes, okay? So the state of unbelief, Jesus, our help for unbelief, and then the fruit of belief, or belief in action, really, which is prayer, okay? So first thing, the state of unbelief. I'm going to give you a, a little bit of context because what Jeannie read, you know, it says when they came to the other disciples. So the very beginning is the disciples are kind of split up, and here's why they're split up. Peter, James, and John, I guess was Jesus' favorites. Um, kidding. I mean, they did have a unique relationship with him. Uh, they have been up on a mountaintop. This is the story of the Mount of the Transfiguration, right? They've been up on this mountaintop. Jesus takes them up there where Jesus is transfigured before them. All right, So this is where they're coming down to meet the other disciples from. And on that Mount of Transfiguration, this is what it says. This is uh, earlier in John or in Mark 9. It says that his clothes, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there before uh, with him appeared Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Right. So this, this supernatural moment where Jesus is transfigured, he's, he's white, they're seeing him. I mean, this is kind of a backstage sneak-a-peek into the real picture, the real reality. This is who Jesus is. He's God, right? This is who he is fully. This is who he is truly. We are seeing his power and his glory. We're getting a glimpse, right? We're, we're seeing that. So much so that in Luke's account, when this happens, Peter, James, and John were like, stop everything, um, let's set up some tents with Lige and Mose, and we're going to hang out up here. Uh, it's almost like we're, whatever experience they're having, it made me really think about heaven. Whatever experience, I think that's probably what the point is. Whatever experience they're having, it's almost like nothing else exists. Like nobody, 
everybody else down there and whatever else is going on. This is so good to be in the presence of God like this and see him for who he is. We've forgotten about anything else. We just want to stay here. So that's where those three have just come from, right? But like most mountaintop experiences, they don't last, right? And Jesus had not come just to show them and reveal that to him. He, he goes on and tells them, hey, don't tell anything to anybody about what you saw after my, until after my death and my resurrection. Because that's what I've come to do. I've come to die and I've come to, to rise again. So you've gotten a glimpse. And I've given that to you for a reason, but don't talk about it. So it's right after that huge monumental experience. They come down. And what they find when they join up with the other disciples, the guys who didn't get to have that experience, right? This crowd is gathered. An argument with the teachers of the law have, has broken out. And Jesus asked the question, what are you arguing with them about? Like, what's going on? What's the argument about? And this desperate father, he jumps in and he explains what's going on. And here's what he says. I brought my son to your disciples to drive out the spirit that's, that's got control over him, and they couldn't do it. <clears throat> I brought my boy to your dudes <laughs> who have the capacity, right, to do this, and they couldn't do it. That's what the argument's about. Because earlier, Mark 6, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus has actually empowered the disciples with this capacity, <laughs> right? Mark 6, verses 7 and 13 He's calling the twelve unto himself, and he sends them out two by two, and he gives them the authority over impure spirits. It says they drove out many demons, and they anointed many sick people with oil, and they healed him. They healed them, so they had been doing this. That's why the guy brought the boy to them. He had gotten news. They had this capacity. This is what was happening. So we've come here to have this happen, and all of a sudden they couldn't do it. Jesus had given them this power. He had given them this, this purpose, right? Sent them out. One of the other accounts says to really proclaim it was it, that, that power was not just a power for them to use at their own discretion. It was, it was to be used to, as a display of the kingdom of God, right? It's to basically say this. I, by casting out these demons and these impure spirits, you're, you're like hype men at a boxing event. You aren't the main event, you're the one ringing the bell and getting everybody ready. You're showing a preview because this is what the kingdom of God is really about. It's about bringing healing. It's about making things whole. It's about all things new. So disciples, I'm sending you out literally like billboards to start flashing that, hey, kingdom of God is at hand. So they've been given that supernatural authority, this power, and yet... When it came to this one kid and this one demon, they couldn't do it. Why not? What happened? Why couldn't they do it? Well, apparently, if you just follow the text here, um, apparently, based on Jesus' rebuke of them, because he rebukes the disciples here, and his response at the end about prayer, apparently, somehow, in the way that they had been going about this, it was kind of like, you know, when you get you have cell service and you get out of range of the tower. Apparently, in some, in some form or fashion, they had gotten out of range of the, of the kind of Jesus power tower here. <laughs> Seriously. And, and their lack of prayer, because it, it's really saying here, ultimately, you were trying to do this without praying. 
you're trying to, you, you, you attempted it, you attempted it without prayer. So it seems like, I don't think this is a stretch, most people would, would go along with me here, that in the sense that they had gotten this new, newfound gift, this newfound commissioning, this newfound power from Jesus, that in the process of exercising that, they had lost sight of who really ultimately had the power and the authority. That it wasn't them, that it was Jesus who had given it to them, but, but somehow in the process of doing that, it had actually become about them. And their lack of prayer exposed that. Right? I was trying to think of an example. I'm a little bit of a Marvel junkie. I know you use Marvel references, but you guys know Thor, right? Thor's the one with the hammer. Ripped. Good hair. <laughs> Solid beard, right? Yeah. You remember when Thor loses his hammer? Why does he lose his hammer? Come on. He's no longer worthy. Yeah, he's no longer worthy, right? So Odin has, you know, he doesn't have the power in and of himself. Odin has given him the power, right? And then Thor has this moment where he basically is using it all in, in his own strength and for his own glory. And so what does Odin have to do? Odin literally says, I'm going to kind of take that back from you for a second until you can realize what this is really about, which is it's not about you, it's about me. It's about the Father. I'm sure that breaks down at some point, but and it's Greek mythology. It's pretty but, good. Yeah, it's not too bad. I think that's true. I think that's where we get we get a clue here, because what Jesus says to them, when the guy says, "I brought them to your disciples, but they couldn't do it," and what does Jesus say? He says, "You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you or be with you? How long shall I put up with you or bear with you? Bring the boy to me." You unbelieving generation, unbelieving, another word unbelieving is faithless, you faithless generation. Now we kind of read this and I was kind of like, oh man, Jesus seems kind of frustrated here. And I think it's true, he is. Remember, we're, we're being curious about Jesus. If you, if you have a Jesus that you're not okay with him being frustrated, then you should examine that and ask, why am I uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus might be frustrated about something? He is, he is frustrated, and he's obviously he's not frustrated with the man or the boy because the object of that statement is the disciples. And he's saying, by saying what he's saying to the disciples here, or saying in front of everyone, is, is that it's not a power problem. It's a belief problem. Right? It's a faithlessness. In this moment, it's a faithlessness issue. You have a faith problem. Right? And I'd argue this, it's not so much that you have no faith in me, but your inability in this moment, in this situation, exposes that somehow, in the process of going out and using the power and, and, and doing things in my name, somehow in the process of that, the object of your faith has been misplaced, or the word there is literally perverted. It's kind of gotten tweaked a little bit. Your confidence your dependence, your trust. It was kind of on me, and now it's kind of not on me. It's shifted off of me and onto something else. Which, unbelief in Scripture, it's, it's sin. It's, it's sin. And, and here's why. It's, it's not... All of us are believing something all, all day, every day. We're all functioning out of some belief, either belief in myself, belief in other people, 
belief in the electricity of a building. You know, we're putting our hope somewhere. We all have faith or belief in something. And he's saying in this moment, it shifted off of me and on to something else, disciples. And guess what? I love, I was really thinking about this this week. He says, you unbelieving generation. I thought that was such a, like, a carte blanche statement. <laughs> he's saying this. This isn't an individual issue. It's not like, well, you know, Nathaniel was there. But, you know, Andrew, you know, who's kind of his little battery power of faith was a little bit lower. And so it kind of didn't work this time. He's saying, no, 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 this is a generational issue. This is a systemic issue, is what he's saying. He's saying this, disciples, even if you have seen me do all these miraculous things for you, in you, through you, there's still this part of you. And it grieves me, and it doesn't grieve me like I'm like petty and I'm just kind of frustrated. It breaks my heart because even when I'm doing all this miraculous stuff in and through you, there's still this part of you that's prone to unbelief. Which, in all honesty, we're going to get there here in a second. We should all be like, hallelujah, that it's not based on our ability to believe. Hmm. Jesus' heart is it's frustrated, but like in a broken hearted sort of way here. He's saying this, the boy, he's got a spirit problem, right? That's obvious, but so do y'all. And so I'm, I'm, he's going to choose to use his authority because it's his, it's his prerogative to do it. I'm going to choose to step into this boy and his father's situation, but I'm also, semi-simultaneously, I'm going to expose something in you. Because just as powerless as this boy and his father are to liberate themselves from this situation, the boy and the father are not confused about that. We don't have the power to liberate ourselves from what we're under control of. Just as powerless as they are, you are as powerless in and of yourself to have or maintain faith and belief in me. You don't have the power to do it. Now, when I was... Studying this this week on Friday because Jeremy was supposed to preach this morning and he's got COVID now. So pray for his family because they're all really sick and doing okay, but they're not well. <laughs> well I was thinking about this, it's like, I, this is me. I totally get this. I've seen the Lord work in my life in such profound ways. I've seen the Lord work through me in such profound ways that are undeniably his hand, undeniably his grace. And yet, tomorrow, I can find myself acting like he doesn't even exist. It's all up to me. It all depends on me. I can act like he doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. Even though yesterday I experienced a profound experience of his love for me, I can act like he doesn't even care about me. I can take and do take credit for things that were completely his doing. Right? I can go from functional faith to functional atheism like that me you know the the, the five soli soli deo gloria to god alone be glory yeah, it's, it's soli devo glory <laughs> a lot of days right why because just like the disciples just like the man he even here we, we have a generational issue we we struggle we have a state of unbelief that we cannot overcome in our, our own power. So great. How do we get help for that? Looking at the time. I don't have my magic clock on the wall. 
Number four, Jesus is our help for unbelief. That's what this story is about. Where does our help come from? Everyone in the story needs Jesus' help. The boy is obviously the most clear. The boy and his father, they need Jesus' help. And I'm going to encourage us to stay focused here. I'm going to have to do this kind of quickly, but this is a story not about any possible myriad of sickness or physical condition that anybody could find themselves in, right? Because I'll get to it in a second. We, we can draw some conclusions here that I don't think are helpful. This is a story about a boy being under the control of a, of a demon, of an impure spirit, right? So much so that what it says there, when the, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. This is a spiritual thing, right? And why that's important is this. Because many of us, I could tell you many stories personally, have been in situations where we wanted Jesus to intervene like this man, like this boy, if he could brought himself to say it. I wanted Jesus to intervene in an acute area of suffering that myself or others are in, and he hasn't done it in the way we desired. Right? Who's been there? You've prayed. You've asked God, intervene, and he has not done it. Prayed for God to cure people of certain things, and he hasn't done it. Right? Now, we're in good company. John the Baptist, you can go read about this um, somewhere in my notes. Where's it at? Matthew 11. John the Baptist, remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist. No man born of a woman is greater than this person. No one showed greater faith. He must increase. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. He believed, believed, believed. But when, he, when his head was on the block, when Herod had his head on the block, in Matthew 11, he sent some disciples to Jesus to ask him this question. Are you the Messiah, or am I looking for somebody else? <laughs> so John the Baptist, greatest man, born of a woman, can be faithless at a moment, be struggling, be a ball of contradiction. We're in good company, right? Mm. Many of us have had that experience. But sometimes passages like this get used this way. They get weaponized to shame people. And here's how they get weaponized. If you just had more faith in God, then he would heal so-and-so, or he would do whatever it is that you're asking him to do. If you just believe it, then it'll be, right? And if it isn't, then that's because you didn't believe. Because your lack of belief or your lack of faith. That's not what this is saying. That's not true, just to be clear. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. If you just had enough faith, then you'd get the result that you want, right? And I would just encourage you this. If you really think about that line of reasoning, it absolutely folds in on itself. It is so flawed. Because if we actually say this, if I believe that it's the amount of my faith or the amount of my belief or the quality of my faith or the quality of my belief or the power of it, if I just have enough of it or the right amount of it or the right type of it, then that delivers the results. What you are saying is this, I have faith in my faith. I have belief in my belief. I believe in me, is what you're saying. I have faith in my faith. And if I have enough faith in my faith, then that triggers God to use his power on my behalf. Do you see? That still has God's power hostage to your faith. That's what that's saying. If I just believe it, 
It's about me believing enough. That's basically saying this. He's waiting on us helplessly to act. He's just waiting on us to have enough faith and enough belief, and then he can act on our behalf. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is someone saying, I'm helpless to believe. Will you act regardlessly? That's what the man's saying to Jesus. It's not super faith gets super results. We cannot draw that conclusion here. Because the man, the desperate father, clearly doesn't have super faith. He has what? Super need and barely any faith, if any at all. He's saying, I kind of want to believe, but I'm shot full of doubt. Why? Because I've probably, my whole life, have hoped, prayed, took my kid to every doctor, healer, faith, whatever, and I finally brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't do it either. What do you want me to have? I'm, I'm a giant doubt bomb. <laughs> what this passage shows us is that faith in Jesus is not the personal eradication of doubt or the willpower to outbelieve our doubts. I would argue this. You can't have faith without doubt. You can't. If you have faith without doubt, your faith is in you. You can't have faith without doubt. Simply because faith in Jesus isn't faith in some kind of specific momentary outcome, right? Okay, I'm going to have enough faith. Like It's like some topical ointment that I apply to my problems, right? Faith is a continual, active surrender to Jesus' authority, his wisdom, his goodness, even when I don't understand it, in everything. And guess what? I can't do that without him doing something for me. I don't surrender to his authority. I don't surrender to his wisdom. I don't surrender to his goodness. I don't. I think I know better. But that's not what we see happening in this man. That's why it's real faith. He's saying, you do what you will, not my will be done, right? That's what the father says to him. He says, take pity on us. Help us. Not just my boy, help me. Have compassion on me. I don't deserve anything you're about to do. I'm not entitled to anything that you're about to do. I'm appealing to your heart. If you can do anything, that's a statement of saying this, I'm done. I can't do anything. No one can do anything for my boy, for me. You hear it? It's surrender. He's not saying, because I've come to you, right, and I've impressed you with my faith, right, and my belief in me, now you must do what I brought my boy here for you to do. He's saying nothing like that. He's saying I'm helpless. And the only faith I have is to come throw myself at your feet and say, help. Take pity. Have mercy. Because my son, if he's going to be free from this, it's entirely in your power, in your hands, just like my unbelief can only come entirely by your power and your hands. One commentator said it like this. In religion, if you're a religious person, here's how it works. You give God your faithfulness. You prove to him that you believe what you believe, and then God gives and owes you something in return. That's religion. That's how you work. Hallelujah, you're here to be woke up this morning. Because that's religion. 
what a relationship with Jesus is, what the gospel is, is this. You're weak. You don't have any power to even have faith or belief in and of yourself. And that's what you bring to Jesus, your helplessness. And then he gives you faith. He gives you belief. And then you, like the disciples and like everybody else in the story, kind of hobble along through the rest of life, a giant living contradiction, hopefully increasing in your ability to walk in and live in the faith you've been given. Period. End of sentence. It's not super faith, super Christian. It's he's super, I'm helpless, and I need him all the time. That's why prayer is the end point of this whole thing. You have the gospel in a nutshell right here. So if you can do anything, Jesus says, if I can. I kind of like thinking about Jesus having like a head roll there, like, please. <laughs> if I can. You know, I can't do it. <laughs> Everything is possible for one who believes. Now, if you're careful with that, we can go, oh, there it is, there it is. And what does he say? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What he's really saying, I mean, you want to paraphrase? I want to have faith. I'm full of doubts. Have pity, have mercy, help me. I'm struggling to have faith in you. I'm a giant contradiction. Is that going to stop you from doing something for me? And Jesus is saying, I can work with that. <laughs> everything is possible when you're coming to me like that. Right? He's not saying everything will happen the way that you want it to happen for someone who comes to me like that. But he's saying, hey, the possibilities own up, open up when you're weak and when you're humble, when you don't believe that you're here because you actually deserve to be here. Right? Which is where I think the disciples had gotten. Hey, man, we're on the inside track, right? We got the power. Jesus said, no, everything's possible when you're in that place. Anything's possible. Still mind to decide, but anything's possible. So what does he do? Jesus heals the boy. It's his prerogative. He chooses to do that. And that healing has many layers here, but let me just say this. It isn't an end in and of itself. Because the boy there, it says he's effectively raised from the dead. And they thought he was dead. Everybody thought he was dead. And Jesus literally, it's like a resurrection picture. Death to life, right? But that's not the only thing that got raised. The father's raised from unbelief to belief, right? You see it? Multi-layers. So we live in this state of unbelief. Jesus is the only one who can do something about our unbelief. He's the power to heal us of our unbelief. Let's talk for a second about belief in action. Because at the end, again, the disciples, they don't celebrate. I mean, you think about this. It's kind of like, man, we tried, we tried, we tried. You did it. Woo! The disciples are like, hey, can we peel off into a side room and will you share with us what's going on? Because uh, we've been able to do this, you know, down there in Ephesus or wherever they had been, right? But we ran into our limit here. They question why, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, what, this kind can only come out by prayer. Other, other, other section, you know, one of the other gospels says prayer and fasting. Now, we see this kind, I mean, we could go into like, again, talk about shark week. Tiger shark, great. White shark, like what kind of demon are we talking about here? Like, you know, <laughs> were they doing the juniors and then Jesus, you know, finally got to the, to the big, big league demon? 
I think Daryl said, uh, did they like loosen the pickle jar? So Jesus kind of had to do the final twist, right? <laughs> no, and I would encourage us, we're not, we're not going into demonology 101 here. Uh, don't go down that path. It actually focus more on why Jesus says and talks about prayer. And I don't want to overcomplicate this even, because there's a ton that you could say about prayer. But, but I just want you to think about the Lord's Prayer. Because when they, they didn't know how to pray, right? And Jesus, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what does the Lord's Prayer basically say? Our Father who has art in heaven. So you're my Father. You're, you're in heaven. Holy is your name. You, you, you're above everything else. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You, your Father and your King, this is your kingdom. And then everything else in the Lord's Prayer is basically this, help. You know, give us our daily bread. Forgive us for our sins. Help. Help us to forgive other people because we can't do it in our own strength. Help. Deliver us from the evil one. Help, 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 help. Why is Jesus talking about prayer? Well, when do we most readily and genuinely pray? When do you do it? For me, it's when I'm up against something that I am not confused as way beyond my control and my power. The way it works with me is, is I do everything I can do, and I work, and I work, and I work, and I work, and then finally when I hit the place where it's like, it's not working... Then I start to pray. And I think Jesus is kind of saying, hey, let's invert that. Because it isn't about you working in your own strength and then finally tapping into mine later on. I'm calling you to a life of continual rhythm and dependence. That's what prayer is. Prayer is, is you're my father, this is your kingdom, and I'm helpless. I am the desperate man. Not some days, every day. That's reality. When Jesus says, this one only comes out by prayer, these kind of only come out by prayer, I think what he's saying is this, he's inviting the disciples back into the posture of the desperate man. He's saying, you got away from it, guys. You got away from that desperate place where it's only my power working in your life. And so I'm calling you back to a place where prayer is the place that you operate out of. So Paul talks about we, we can pray without ceasing. Or in John 15, where he says, remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I imagine Jesus like pressing Bon Jovi, living on a prayer right now, right? He's like, take my hand and I'll, I'll make it. We swear, right? I should be singing right now, shouldn't I? I should. <laughs> Woo! Right? <laughs> it's part of the reason I love the powers out here and that we're moving in three weeks to a different building. Mm. Um. Because when that first came up that we had to move, I was like, what? Seriously? COVID and moving and all this? And I feel like the Lord was saying, I don't know, you need the grace of a need that you can't control. That's why we prayed and fasted. And and the Lord answered with Creep Hall Elementary because what? We called us into that because we're actually practicing something that our ultimate dependence isn't on our ability to make something happen. But when we pray, we practice what we believe is true. And then exercising our faith through prayer, when you exercise your faith, you experience the faith you've been given. Right? Scripture says faith is a gift. Prayer is just unwrapping the gift and experiencing what we have in him. So we struggle with the state of unbelief. Jesus is the only help for our unbelief. And prayer is the way we go to Jesus. To experience the power, the union, the dependence on him. And that's my prayer for us as we transition in this upcoming year. 
into all these new things. Oh, maybe you're, you're bringing us to the limits of ourselves because you're trying to actually get us to step into you in a completely different way. All right, that's it. Let me pray for us. And then we'll worship a few more songs. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you. I pray, uh, if I'm honest, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, conf- I'm convicted about my lack of prayer, frankly. Thank you that even this passage is such a, uh, a, a, it says your kindness calls us to repentance. I repent for my lack of prayer. But thank you that that's a kind thing that you show us because you, you so deeply desire for us like you did for your disciples and for this man to walk daily, moment by moment, with belief in you, with faith in you, with trust in you, not trusting in ourselves, not trusting in our capacities. So would you, I'm asking, Lord, would you move in us in a way um, that we would see that, that even the things that we're up against that we feel um, man, we wish you would you would change or just make those things go away. But those things may be an actual gift, a gift from you so that we can encounter you in a different way through prayer. And would you make our community into a praying community? Would we be a community that, that things are happening in this community that people can't explain because you're supernaturally at work and we're not taking credit for it? Lord, I believe that you can do that. Help my unbelief. Because I am a pastor who believes that because the electricity isn't on this morning, something less than powerful can happen. I struggle with that. Um, so thank you that the quality of this morning isn't, isn't based on, or the quality going forward isn't based on any of our capacities, but on yours. We're just the desperate father. We're just the boy. We're just the disciples. In your name.